0: Morning, church. So, uh, this morning I'm over there about a little before service started, and uh, I got my got my tea and my Bible and water bottle and all that stuff, and I go, and I, I had to go take care of something, and I, I set all my stuff down, and it's like that slow motion where all of a sudden, like, I didn't set it down right, and I see my tea go, Ooh, Boom, like that. And it just goes everywhere all over the table. So if your song sheet that you got this morning smells like chai spice something, that's my fault. You're welcome. (laughs) Thankfully, that was all it got on, just a few song sheets. So I'm like, ah, that's a good way to start the day. That's fine. No big deal. (laughs) Well, let me pray for us. Father, what a incredible privilege that it is that that we get to gather together and open up your word. And my prayer this morning, Lord, is that we hear from you and that our eyes and our hearts are set firmly on you and that this morning, Lord, we would walk away more Desperately, passionately longing to to know you more and to make you known on every corner of this planet, that you alone, Lord, would be glorified. Father, we pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, If you have your Bible, uh, open up to Matthew 28. We're going to be in a section of scripture that we call the Great Commission. It's Matthew twenty-eight sixteen to 20. And last week, if you were here, I, I hope you were, last week we uh, talked about the, the greatest commandment Jared Irvine preached and talked about the greatest commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors as yourself. And this week we're going to be looking at the Great Commission, and the next week Pastor John will be back, and we'll be back in the series where we're looking at uh, the Psalms, specifically the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, and so, again, this this week we had kind of a two week a two week break, and so as Jared and I talked and put our heads together, we thought, well, let's talk about about the the greatest commandment and the Great Commission, which is really just the. The summary of everything that we are to be and do as Christians. if you were to if you were to boil down everything that God calls us to be and do, you could more than adequately summarize it in the great commission and the greatest commandment. Uh, it is it is it is our primary purpose. It's our goal, it's our mission, it's our focus. it should um, it should be the foundation which, we build everything, all of our programs, all of our efforts, all of our desires. Everything should be built upon those two texts. Quick story for you, when I was a junior in high school is actually the, the very last day of my junior year of high school it was graduation for the seniors. Um, and I had wanted to be a part of or I w- not be a part of the graduation. I wanted to see the graduation. I had gone to high school with all the senior all the seniors of my high school for the last three years, had gotten to know most of them, was friends with many of them, and wanted to see them graduate, wanted to go out on the field and, and welcome them, or and, and, you know congratulate them and give them hugs before they went off to college and, and all that. Um, for whatever reason, <clears throat> at that time, my high school um, required tickets to get into the graduation, and um, it was I went to Menachee High School in, in, out in Porterville, uh, and, and like I said, for whatever reason, they were, tickets were required, and I did not have a ticket, Um, I imagine if I had done more homework, I, you know, like if I had done my work ahead of time, I probably could have gotten a ticket, but I was being last minute as, you know, I was a high schooler and I was, I was talking to my friend Tim about this and Tim was in the band and I was kind of saying like, oh, I really want to go to the graduation, but I don't have a, have a way to get in. We're talking, he goes, well, Steven, I'm going to be in the band. Why don't I just give you one of my extra instruments and you could just sit in the band, like, front row with me. I'm like, it's a great idea. This is genius. Like, this is a perfect idea. And so we did that. He gives me his, he has this extra saxophone, and he gives it to me, and, you know, I go walking in with the band. I've got my saxophone. I've got my music stand, and I'm, like, looking really official, and, you know, a lot of my friends were in the band. Um, Believe it or not, at Menachee, the band kids were actually the cool kids uh, I was not in the band, but I hung out with a lot of the band kids, so cool by proxy. Um, but, and, and that was, so I'm like, you know, I'm walking in and all my friends are like, Stephen, what are you doing here? And I explain the story to him. and they're okay. And, uh, you know, so we're getting all set up and, and the band director starts talking to my friend Tim and he's talking to me and all of a sudden he looks at me, he does this double take and he goes, he looks at my friend he goes, Tim, who's this guy? And I, he goes, it's my friend Stephen, he wants to watch the graduation. He looks at me, he goes, does he play? And <laughs> he goes, nope. <laughs> and yeah, if you know me, I do not play music. Like, can't even clap to a rhythm. And so he's like, fan director goes, okay, and walks away. And so sure enough, I sit there the whole ceremony and you know, when they all lift their instruments and start moving their fingers, I do the same thing. And no noise is coming out of my instrument, but nobody was the wiser, I had a great seat to the graduation, got to see my friends graduate. As ridiculous as that story is, I think the sad reality is that many, many believers are sitting in seats in churches all across America, and they have the Holy Spirit in their heart, and they have the Bible in their hands, and yet they are not doing the one thing that we are called to do, and that's go and make disciples. I hope that this sermon this morning changes a little bit of that. Matthew twenty-eight sixteen to 20, this is, the, this is the very last section in the book of Matthew. Jesus has conquered sin and the grave. He has risen from the dead, and he gathers his disciples to himself. And this is, this is what it says. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Quick pause there. Uh, a lot of people wonder, like, what it was that these disciples were doubting. Why, why did they doubt? Um, I think there's several reasons. Uh, it doesn't specifically say here. I think there definitely was still some doubt that Jesus really had risen from the dead. I think that's certainly there. But I think um, maybe even more than that, I think there was personal doubt in themselves. I think that there was that there was possibly doubt that that they were actually worthy to be there. If you remember just days before, these, many of these same people had uh, denied Jesus, had abandoned Jesus, and had questioned his resurrection, all of these things. And so I think, I think some of the doubt is whether he really was, like, are we really seeing what we think we're seeing? But I think a lot of the doubt was, was, was in them personally, and Jesus addresses that. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Keep your Bibles open. Don't close them just yet. There's several things I want to point out here. We're going to walk through this text. We're going to look at a few different things. And uh, I I think the first thing that's important to understand is our terms. Uh, Let's look at the word disciple. It's a word that's used several times in this text. It is a word that's used all throughout the New Testament. Over 250 times the word disciple is found in the New Testament. So it is a significant word. And it's a word I'm going to be using a lot this morning. So it's important that we define it. I think our idea of a disciple um, is, is so much more than just a student. Sometimes we think of like students that sit in classrooms. But the idea of a disciple is that it is so much more than that. I think our, our notion of an apprentice is maybe the, maybe the best comparison of a disciple. So it's not just, like I said, someone that sits in a classroom that, that learns the facts of a topic. It's so much more than just, we don't just learn the facts about Jesus and who he is and what it means to be a Christian. But, but the idea of a disciple, or like I said, an apprentice, is someone that like, stands next to someone and learns a way of doing things. And in our case, we, we walk with Jesus and we, we learn how to do and live life the way he longs for us uh, to do in the way he calls us to. So again, it's it's not just learning a topic, it's not just learning facts, it's 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 learning how life is lived and then doing likewise and then following. It's not just, you know, you think of like like people that write biographies of famous people. They know the facts and they can write all the facts, but it doesn't change the course of their life. With Jesus, it's different than that. We don't just we don't just learn the information. We we learn the person and we do likewise we learn how he lives his life and we do the same thing Uh, this morning and and this morning when I when I talk about the the idea of making disciples a phrase I'm going to be using a lot we tend to kind of break it down we think of of there, there are people that don't know Christ, the lost, and, and we have an obligation of reaching out to them and sharing Christ with them, sharing about how they can come and know Christ. We would typically call this evangelism, and that's, and that's accurate and that's fair. And then we often think of that when, that when someone comes to Christ, then we raise them up. Um, and we would call this specifically we we often think of this as discipleship i um, mean that's that's fair too in other words we we teach them and we train them then what it means to be a follower of christ and what that looks like and those are those are fair i think But I think when we talk about making discipleship this morning, I think what Jesus is talking about here, it encompasses all of that. It encompasses both the reaching out to the lost and also raising up of believers. And I think so when we talk about making, going and making disciples, that's all of what Jesus is encompassing here. And I think that's fair to it's fair to say that. Uh, so, so those are just some terms that are important to understand going into this. Um, uh, some things to notice as you're looking at this text. Look with me. Uh, look at how often the word all is woven throughout this text. Jesus, Jesus is emphasizing superiority and completeness of all things. All is woven uh, all throughout it. All authority. Go to all nations. Teach them all that I have commanded you. And then he closes by saying, I am with you for all time or always. I am with you always. At the beginning, and and look at at Jesus' very first words in in verse 19. Jesus opens by clearly stating, excuse me, uh, uh, verse 18. Jesus opens by clearly stating his authority and his power. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. And that's, that's the basis which he states his command on. So he, he clearly states his authority and his power. Everything is his. Everything. Everything is under his authority and power. I've heard it said on, on both sides of the aisle that come November, everything is going to change. In other words, you know, when, when whichever president, whoever is going to be voted voted for as our next president, that's going to be the thing that marks, uh, that, that changes things in our in our nation at this point. And to a degree, there's, there's some truth to that. Certainly, we would say whoever is president holds significant power, definitely. No, no doubt about that, no arguing there. But let's not make the mistake of thinking that our president or our government or our armies hold supreme power. If you were to if you were to take a scale, like one of those you know, weighing, measurement, old school you know, measurement scales, if you were to take one of those scales, and if you were to stack every leader, every army, every authority, every government from, from all of history, if you were to stack every single one of those on one end of the scale, and you were to stack Jesus Christ on the other end of that scale it would be like comparing a bowling ball to a feather there is zero comparison between those two things every all authority is held firmly in Jesus hand and so whoever you vote for whoever you see whoever is your leader that person's authority is given to them by Jesus Christ who holds and has and possesses supreme authority Make no mistake about that. So Jesus opens by clearly stating his authority and his power. <clears throat> and then he closes by clearly stating his presence with us. He clearly, he makes it clear that, that he is not abandoning us. That, that when he leaves, he's not really leaving and in, in Acts 1.8, not only is that, but, but he promises that, his, that, the, that the Holy Spirit is not only, not only is Jesus going to be with us till the end of the age, but in Acts 1.8, he promises that his spirit is going to come and indwell us. So think about this, Christian. Jesus Christ holds this world firmly in the palm of his hand through his power and his authority. His promise is that he is going to be with us till the end of the age. And he promises his spirit is going to indwell us. Do you feel good this morning? I mean, do you feel confident about all of those things, knowing where you firmly stand in history? In the midst of all this chaos, I hope you feel secure and comfortable because you're supposed to. And in the middle of all of this, in, in the middle of where he sandwiches all of these promises, he gives us one very clear command. In the middle of everything, he commands his disciples to go make more disciples. He tells his disciples to begin making disciples. Not only are they to follow Jesus, but they are his disciples. Called to fo- call more people to follow Jesus. And that's the main point. If you've got notes, if you're taking notes this morning, write this down. This is, this is the main idea I want us to walk away from this morning. And it's, in light of Jesus' power and presence, make disciple-making disciples. <clears throat> in light of Jesus' power and his presence, make disciple-making disciples. Disciples. We need to realize that part of the process, when Jesus calls us to make disciples, it's not enough that we just teach other people about, teach other people to follow Christ. We need to realize that part of that process is that we call them, they need to realize that part of that process is that they they have an obligation to reach out and to make more disciples. So, in other words, we need to make disciples who make disciples. Or as I just said, we need to make disciple-making disciples. I think we very incorrectly think that Christians who share their faith, Christians that reach out to the lost, Christians that are a part of maybe some group where there's teaching, training, disciple-making, we often identify those Christians as maybe the more spiritually mature Christians. We often identify them as like the elite Christians. Um, You know, maybe if you think of like like the military, we would say, oh, well, well, we're all, you know, we're all part of the, the, the armed services. You were just like, those are just like the special forces and we're just the, you know, National Guard or something like that. <laughs> no, no offense if any of you were in the National Guard or anything like that. But, but we, we, or, or it's like an, like an air, please don't beat me up. You, you certainly can. Um, but, or, or we think of like an airplane, like, like oh, those people, they fly first class. And I'm just back here in economy class. And it's, it's all fine. We're all on the same plane going in the same direction. But those people that are into discipleship, those are, those are the spiritually mature Christians. And that's not for me. And it's fine. We, can, we, like, we have two different you know, classes or qualifications of, of who is a Christian. But that idea is completely foreign to the New Testament. All Christians are called to be discipled and to make disciples. All Christians are called to be discipled and to make disciples. To think of a non-disciple-making Christian is like thinking of a non-music-playing band member. It's like me holding up that saxophone saying I was a part of the band. I, I wasn't. I was a poser that was just using the band to get a good seat at, at a graduation. It's, I, I wasn't a part of the band just because I'm holding an instrument and and you christian are called to go and make disciples we have to realize that that is that is part of our dna as a christian and it's it is foreign to say that you are a christian it is foreign to the new testament to say that you are a christian but that you don't have a requirement to make disciples if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a command to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. You have a command to reproduce yourself. 2 Timothy two two, I think, is one of, the, one of the best, most concise summaries of this concept. Paul says, and what you have heard from me, and he's speaking to Timothy, Saint Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. Do you see, what, do you see what's going on here? Paul's saying, what you have heard from me Teach others who will teach others. And this is for all of us. So what does it entail to make disciple-making disciples? What goes into this process? Well, Jesus gives us three aspects of it here. I think, first of all, it's important to realize that in this text, in verses, verses 19 and 20, when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, in, in this whole text, there is actually only one uh, imperative command and that's make disciples everything else is just meant to support that so what is it and and to to illustrate and to break it down what that what that making disciples looks like first of all we make disciples by going look at verse 19 the 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 word go is actually it's actually probably better translated going or as you are going make disciples in other words it's not a one-time thing but it is a daily action. And it's not, a, it's not okay, I went to this place and, and this is the one place and this is the one little area that I went to and this is where I make disciples. This is my little circle in which I am supposed to make disciples. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying everywhere you go and in everything you do and everywhere along that journey, make disciples. The point that he's trying to say is is that is that we need to leverage every aspect of our life for disciple making. I love the idea of leverage and the using that 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 phrase leverage has helped me understand this concept in my mind. It's illustrated a little bit uh, to me. the The idea of leveraging is is where it. Um, is where you use something to maximum advantage. So think of tools, for example. Think of like dollies or hand trucks. Uh, think of crowbars or wrenches. Those are all tools of leverage. Uh, they take very difficult tasks. They take nearly impossible tasks. So if I had a, a refrigerator right here or a cabinet, um, I guarantee I could not move that thing. But if you give me a dolly, I can move it actually generally very easily. It's taking a difficult task and making it easier by, by using something to its maximum advantage. And we, Christians, need to leverage every aspect of our life for the purpose of making disciples. So what do I mean by that? How, how, how do I, like, like, what do I mean by that? What I mean is, is that we need to look at where we are strategically placed and realize that we are, not, we are not there by accident. God has strategically placed us in certain spheres of influence, and we are supposed to be there for the purpose of making disciples. You have certain people in your sphere. You have certain talents. you have certain resources. you have certain freedoms and abilities and time and a certain amount of time. You have certain contacts. You have certain people you know who have certain spheres, and that people, people that you know that I don't. And because of those things that, that you have, because of that certain source of leverage, you have an ability to reach people for the gospel. You have an ability to disciple people that I certainly don't. So think of, for example, many of you maybe work in an office, and I would wager that you probably don't work in, work in that office alone you are probably surrounded by certain people for multiple hours of the day. And if I were to walk past those people on a street and I was to just like stop them and say, could I tell you about Jesus? I imagine they would be a little, I would catch them a little off guard. They don't, they don't know me. I'm some, some rando. Uh, but, but if you, because of your influence in their life, because you have strategically been placed in that, in that position and you're leveraging that for the gospel. You have an authority. You have a voice in their life and in their heart. You have a, an in to tell them about Christ that I certainly don't have. Certain things. Maybe you have, you have certain resources. Um, there's, there's so much that can be said how, about how you can maximize your position for an advantage for the gospel. Again, people who sit in your office, people who share a hobby with you, that's leverage for the gospel. Neighbors, people that live directly around you. Neighbors, you have an opportunity to leverage your, where you live, your home for the gospel. And kids, kids listening up, when you get home, I want you to talk to your parents, challenge them and ask them, how can, you use, how can your family be used to leverage your neighborhood for the gospel? How can your home be used to leverage, be leverage for the gospel? Who are family members that you have direct contact with who are patients or clients that you serve who are employees that serve under you cashiers or waiters or waitresses that you that you see even briefly you have those moments to leverage for disciple making who are people of your church that you have influence over and who are people of other nations that need to hear about Christ so much can be said oh, this could be a whole sermon series in and of itself But make no mistake, friends, there are people, there are billions of people in this world that have never even heard the name of Jesus, and they desperately need to hear it. And you and I have a responsibility to make him known to those people. Think about how you can leverage your your finances, your ability, your freedoms for missions. Again, so much more can be said about that about the need to make Christ known in all the nations. And Jesus talks about that here. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. A couple quick examples from scripture. In Acts, for example, Barnabas, early in, early in the book of Acts, Barnabas had a, had a field and he sold it for a certain amount of money. He leveraged his stuff, by selling it and then giving that money to the church to be used to spread the gospel and to make disciples later on in the in the book of Acts, we see that other disciples had houses, and instead of selling those houses, they actually leveraged their houses by keeping them and then using them for, as a place for the small groups of the church to meet and to further discuss discuss the word. So it's not, it's not a cookie cutter thing. Every person is different. Every person has a different source of leverage, but every Christian is called to use what they have to leverage for the gospel. I hope that makes sense. So as you are going, and a couple other things, college students, college students, as you are considering your future career and your calling, consider strongly, think through, you have a a requirement, a command from scripture to think through how you can leverage your future career for the gospel. It's not just this side note, like if I have time, I'll think of like ways in which I can serve and use my career for for the glory of God. No, no, that should be a primary consideration as you weigh and, and ask God where he wants you to go and what he wants you to do with your life. David Platt says this, and it's a great quote. He says, the purpose of your life is not to get a great education, be a great athlete, go on great dates, have a great career, and make great money. The purpose of your life is to love a great God and accomplish a great commission. Secondly, we make disciples by baptizing. The act of baptism is is public identification with Christ, and it's it's public identification with the community of believers as well. If you think of it, we often—I often explain it to people like it's—it's it's putting on the uniform. Um, I don't know if you've ever had the, the opportunity or the privilege of being at um, like a maybe some sort of like pinning ceremony for like firefighters or for police officers. Um, but but that is that is an identification. It's a public identification with a community. And with a, a combined and, and a unified purpose, and that's what that's what baptism is and well you know at those ceremonies where where a badge is pinned on someone there's one person that's pinning the badge on just like in, in baptism you know we don't we don't all get in the tank and dunk and dunk a new believer but but we often say that, that the church is not just this the spectator in that ceremony but that the church is a part of the ceremony and just like like i said at a, you know like a pinning ceremony for for new police officers they are putting on the uniform and they are thus identifying with, with a group and with a purpose and a com, and a commission and while there's many spectators they're all a part of that while there's and then while there's one person maybe pinning that badge on them, everyone is a part of it. And so we have to realize that part of the disciple-making process is baptism, and that within that baptism that that there is a a unity and there's this sense of identification with the community. And we need to realize that that is an intricate part of discipleship. I would challenge you, if you are, are a Christian, if you've given your life to Christ and you have never been baptized, you have a command from Scripture To be baptized. I would argue that you are in violation. Of God's direct and specific command. To be be baptized. And to identify publicly. With the community of believers. So Christian. Go and be baptized if you haven't. And thirdly. We make disciples by teaching obedience. We must. Use our words. We must. Teach god's word and we must obey it i realize that this looks differently for different people different personalities have different gifts and different callings and paul lays that out in in romans where he talks about there's gifts of teaching there's gifts of evangelism and i and i get that but just because different people have different gifts isn't an excuse for others to just sit back and do nothing be like oh that's their gift i i don't I don't, I don't do that. No, no, certain people are maybe better suited for that and maybe can do that maybe in a more public setting. But everyone has a command to teach. And Jesus says that they're teaching them to obey. And again, that looks differently for different people. Uh, maybe you like and maybe gravitate more towards the official discipleship group setting. Maybe yours is more unofficial, more casual, more that as you are going, you just look for opportunities to tell people and to talk about Jesus. Whether those are non-believers or maybe whether those are believers, it doesn't matter. You need to look for yours. the the The, the point of the the text here is that every one of us have a command to use our words to make disciples. <clears throat> Don't use the excuse the I'm just going to let them like see from my life how I how I live and let that be enough. There is absolutely a command to live the life. Absolutely. That I'm not saying that don't do that. But there is a command to use your words to make disciples. This looks differently in different ways. Join in our group friends. Join an R group. And don't just be a part of that R group and look at it as, all right, I'm, I'm doing my duty. I'm just going to sit here and nod, write down the prayer requests and all those things. No, no. Join an R group and engage. Contribute. R group leaders, realize that, that you're not just a facilitator of this discussion and this group that meets. Realize that you are an essential discipler in the life of the people who are in your group. Parents, you are not just raising little human beings. You, that's certainly a part of it. But you are the primary discipler to your kids. Make no mistake about that. Use your words. Disciple those kids. Leverage leverage primary uninterrupted time to disciple those kids. When, when is the time where they don't have any other distractions? Maybe it's in the car. I know you're not, there's not a whole lot of commuting to and from school these days. But look for those primary uninterrupted times and intentionally disciple them for the gospel. Friends, there should be people in your life and in mine, in every single one of us, there should be people in our life who we are intentionally discipling. There need to be people that we are looking at and say, I am intentionally investing in this person with the goal and the desire to make them more like Christ there's a ministry if you're looking if you need like resources on, on what to do and maybe how to make that what like what that's supposed to look like there's a ministry called replicate ministry replicate ministry encourage you look at them look at look them up they have a lot of great resources about intentional discipleship so if you're looking for something to do look at, look them up I'm going to close with one last illustration. I've I've used this before. If if you've been anywhere around high school ministry, you've probably heard me use this illustration before, but I think it's a good one. Um, There is a a fundamental difference of purposes between two different kinds of fish, salmon and trout. For you angel fans, I'm not talking about your players. But there is a a fundamental difference in, in purpose between these two different kinds of fish. And for you biologists, you could probably like pick this apart and Tell me otherwise, like there's differences and nuances, and fair enough, but tell me afterwards. Uh, Trout, their primary purpose is self-preservation. If you, you know, see them in rivers, you walk past a creek, you'll see them and they'll dart under rocks, things like that, they're kind of scaredy-cats. Uh, you know, they, they'll, they won't travel too far upstream or downstream, they'll kind of stay in the typical pool, If you, you know, a lot of them just stay in lakes and live their whole life there. Their, their whole purpose is self-preservation, it's all about protect themselves, you know, don't go too far beyond my borders, don't, you know, live, live an easy life, you know, li- don't live uh, very dangerously. Salmon, on the other hand, have a fundamental difference in purpose. And that is reproduction. That is reproducing themselves. And these fish will go out into the ocean, live a couple years, and they will fight. They will literally kill themselves to get back to where they were born. They will go up these, up these rivers. They will go up waterfalls. They will swim into the mouths of grizzly bears for the purpose of getting back to where they were born to reproduce themselves, to make more salmon. Folks, we have to be more like salmon. We have to realize that our primary, our fundamental purpose is to make disciples, to reproduce ourselves. Let me pray. Father, through your spirit, empower us to live our lives with the purpose of making you known in this world, to reproduce ourselves. We love you Lord give us give us the strength give us the eyes to see and to do this we pray this in your name amen